0: A new year. And the media always like to trot out the best of award shows and retrospective looks back. Okay. We're players. We'll play too. For the next hour, from the press box to press row, we'll be looking back at some of the highlights of our short time on the air. And because he's sitting behind the good mic in a custom-fit blazer, here's your host, Donald Ware.
1: Merry Christmas, happy holidays to you and yours from all of us here at Box to Row. I am your host, Donald Ware. So excited because it's our year-end review show here on Box to Row. You know we do this each and every year where we take a listen back to some of the really memorable conversations that we had in 2022 as we look forward to and. 23. Got to say congratulations to North Carolina Central. The Eagles winning the HBCU National Championship, a 41 to 34 victory over Jackson State in Atlanta last Saturday. It's a game uh, again. A lot of people called it an upset or would call it an upset, not me. I thought that the Eagles would win the game and ultimately the Eagles did. It was an exciting game. Like that's the best I've been to Let's see. I, I've i gone to every uh, er, i gone to every game in Atlanta from 2015 to 2019. Uh, watched last year's game, uh, and for me, that was the most exciting of all of the games in Atlanta. And uh, now, obviously, you, you, you if you're Trey Oliver, you got to be feeling really really good and. This, you know, one of the things that's interesting, and of course, if you listen to the show last week, we had Charles Huff, the head football coach at Marshall, on the program. By the way, Marshall beat UConn in that Myrtle Beach Bowl. Now has won five straight finishes this season at 9-4. and four. Charles Huff, a graduate of Hampton, again, making him only the second HBCU grad to be a head coach at an FBS institution. And I wrote about this. I did a piece on this. Um, I did a piece uh, which is on uh, the BoxToRow.com website called We Can Coach Too. That was the title of the piece. And it just talked about the lack of uh, HBCU grads that have been at the head coaches at the FBS level. Uh, again, Willie Jeffries, the first, going back to 1979, and Charles Huff, the second, hired in 2021. What a gap! Uh, that is. Um, and so uh, really, really dove into some things and talked about some of the coaches that may have opportunities uh, to be a head coach uh, at the FBS level if they choose to be. So I think Trey Oliver, one of those. Um, so I invite you to check that out on our website at box to rowcom Also on box to rowcom right now, the. Uh, Of course, North Carolina Central HBCU National Champions. You can take a look at the final coaches and media polls as well as the HBCU Division II coaches poll where Benedict finishes number one as well. All of that on our website at BoxToRow.com. Let's get started. Kicking things off in the month of January, we had a chance to catch up with the head men's basketball coach at Norfolk State, Robert Jones. He coached in a bunch of All-Star games including the HBCU All-Star game which took place in New Orleans in April or surrounded right around Final Four weekend in New Orleans. I'm gonna tell you it was a great time. Had a wonderful time in New Orleans and as a matter of fact the HBCU All-Star game going to be right around Final Four once again for 2023 this time in Houston. But Norfolk State head men's basketball coach Robert Jones joined us on the program back in January to talk about the program. Little did he know he was going to have an even bigger year than he was having and Norfolk State was having at the time of this conversation. Just speak to how you're growing, have grown, as the head men's basketball coach at Norfolk State. You were an assistant at Norfolk State prior to that. I mean, I think
2: that it's just like with anybody, like, you know, I, I kind of equate it to uh, a player that's like an NBA, you know, like when they first get in there as a rookie, they're still trying to figure it out. No matter if they're a good rookie or not, um, they're still trying to figure it out, the landscape. And it might take them a couple years to really figure it out. And then they start to try to, like, reach, like, get in their prime and things like that. And, um, you know, I'm not quite sure I'm in my prime or anything like that yet, but I do – I will say that I think that I've, things have slowed down for me more. Like, my routine is – it's kind of set now. I'm, I'm not trying to, like, just find myself. And I think that it's shown over the last few years. I mean, if you – you know, I know 20 uh, – it was a 1920 season, there was no, um, you know, MEAC championship game. So, we've been in the last two uh, MEAC championship games in 19 and, 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 and 21. And then also in 19 and 21, I mean, we went to the NIT and beat Alabama. And then, of course, we went to the NCAA tournament and beat Appalachian State. So, um, my my best two years have been, like, my last two years to be honest with you um so it's you know it's and and now it's continuing to over right now so i just think that things are just things are just slowing down for me the routine is just better um it's kind of like running itself in a sense because you kind of got your culture in place you kind of got you know, your your coaches understanding what you want from them and things like that so the machine is just kind of running itself instead of you know those first couple years man when you rip it and running and try to find yourself and try to make your identity and figure out your culture and things like that. So I think that's what's been uh, helping. Like I said, I don't know. I, I, I don't think I'm in my prime. I'm only 42 years old. But, I, you know, I do think I'm, you know, overall things are just slowing down for me.
1: Definitely slowing down for Robert Jones. Dare I almost say easy for him. Again, coached in quite a few HBCU All-Star games uh, during uh, the spring. And uh, it's got Norfolk State playing some pretty good basketball as we speak right now. Let's move. Now, or excuse me, we're going to stay in January. Had a chance to catch up with Florida A&M, HBCU All-American, Isaiah Land. Now, in January, he was named the Buck Buchanan Award winner for the best player in all of FCS football. He was named last year the HBCU uh, Willie Davis Defensive Player of the Year as well had a chance to catch up with Isaiah Land of Florida A&M and I asked him about and remember the whole transfer portal deal about why he chose to stay at FAMU
3: coach yeah coach Simmons and them was my like that was their first year and I was my first year so we were their first recruiting class so I really just bought into like helping build FAMU I saw that like, after that first season when we had went like 7 and 4 I think we had I just saw how much the program changed, and then I seen how it elevated even more after we went nine and two, and then it just ever since then like every year we would have a winning season. You could see it on the on our campus that we had a winning season. Like most schools, I go to Alabama where they go undefeated. Everything go probably look the same. They just add another trophy. But like at FAMU, we we watching them build new locker rooms and new weight rooms and stuff every time we win because it's, it's bringing in more money and more stuff to the school. So. I just like the fact that I'm helping, but build something at FAMU, and how it's a historical school, and like it's it's been big, co- it's been uh big time schools trying to get me to go into Portland and stuff lately. But I just really stick in and I really bought into like the whole FAMU thing, and I just really take pride in like playing for FAMU. So um, I just stuck to my word. Is like whatever team gave me uh, a chance, I was gonna stick with them and make other schools regret it, basically.
1: Isaiah Land of Florida A&M didn't have the gaudy numbers like he had last year. They moved him more to the defensive end uh, position where he made all-conference and, again, was an HBCU All-American. And one of the big stories, really, of the the HBCU season was, remember in the beginning when Florida A&M had all those players that were not eligible to play. Isaiah Land was one of those players, didn't play the first two games, and then he did get on the field and put up um, some numbers, but uh, you heard him right there, Isaiah Land, that guy is a player. Also in the month of January, had a chance to catch up with actress Javicia Leslie. Now you're gonna know Javicia Leslie. She played the role of Batwoman. She's been in a number of different series. She's a graduate of Hampton and uh had a chance to catch it with uh, Javicia Leslie also in the month of January here on Box to Row. And the first black woman to play the role. I mean that that has to be special for you as well.
4: Yeah, that's an honor as well. I mean, I'm black all the time. So, <laughs> I don't know if I if if I I look at it like that, I look at it more like um this experience is going to allow it to make sense that anyone can play these superheroes and that it's not restricted to a specific gender or or a specific race. So it's like, I didn't think I was gonna get this role because in my mind, Batwoman couldn't be black. So now, if there's another role that comes out that has already been, you know, that has um, in its history been cast only as a white person and all of a sudden they're casting a new character. I mean they're they're casting a character for television or, or a film. A black actor no longer has to think like that. They can say, Well, you remember they didn't make that one black. You never know. Let me make sure I give him my all. So that's dope. I know the last time we talked and I, I gotta I gotta ask you
1: about this. Now I know you're a Hampton grad, which which is which is a great thing. HBCU's all day. Uh and you're from the Washington area, PG County specifically, we'll talk more Uh, about that did I can't remember did you choose Hampton
4: over Howard you had an opportunity to go to Howard was that am I I right about that so the reason why I chose Hampton is because I mean my mom lives in Maryland and I knew she would just roll up anytime (laughs) she felt like it so I needed there to be some type of situation where she had to call to tell me she was coming because she wasn't about to drive three and a half hours not to know if I was going to be there or not so that's actually the, the 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 God honest truth, one of the main reasons why I chose, because it was between Howard and Hampton, but I chose Hampton because it was a little further away and I wanted to have an experience that felt different than what experience I had growing up. Plus my god sister, Nicole, she was like, you know, as far as where I was living at the time, her and my brother were the only two kids that I knew that were were of college age. And she went to Hampton, and I admired her. So I was like, oh, I want to go to Hampton when I grow up. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: What do you remember most about those days at Hampton?
4: Uh, I remember hanging out with my friends. I remember walking. You know, that's back when you used to wear heels to campus. Walking around, you know, campus trying to get from point A to B in heels. I don't know why we did that. (laughs) Um, I remember 12 to 2. That was like this this time of the day where we'd have a DJ, shout out to Tay James. We'd have our DJ come in there and pretty much party in the middle of the school day. Um, I remember like the little parties that we would have. Okay, obviously I was a party kid. All I can remember is the fun part. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, but you graduated. I mean, that's the bottom line though. I made it out, yes.
4: <laughs> Javicia
1: Leslie, who played the role of Batwoman, For seasons two and three it's our 2022 year end review show here on box to row i'm your host donald where we've got plenty more of the show on the other side merry christmas and happy holidays
2: the old renaissance is the new renaissance standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction this is the harlem Brewing company Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way, Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whip, the neighborhood original.
1: Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina, served in total wine all over North Carolina, fresh market in North Carolina and Virginia. Weaver Street Market in Raleigh, Durham, Carborough and Hillsboro. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Saltbox, Sam's Bottle Shop, and Bull McCabe's, and in Greensboro at Elm Street Lounge and Cooper's Ale House.
0: You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. From the Press Box to Press Row. Box to box box row. to Box to row. Box to, box row. to, row. Box to row. The best and brightest of the sports world are with us every week from the press box to press row. But don't take our word for it. Sit back and enjoy more of our look on the air with Donald Ware.
5: Santa baby, just slip a sable under the tree.
1: Lastly, in the month of January, had a chance to catch up with Miami Head Men's Basketball Coach Jim Laranega and talk with him about, you know, I wanted to reminisce with him a little bit about his days at George Mason where he had a lot of success, but also talked with him about his team as it was currently constructed again back in January. And I don't know if you look at these things, but you were picked to finish third from the bottom Uh, in the ACC and right now about you know I mean we're about what a third of the way through the season uh you're atop the conference
6: well what I've told my players and our fans is that the ACC regular season race is a marathon and it's not a sprint where you get out in front like we have right now and all of a sudden that means you're going to have a great year no it's it's more like a marathon where we got off to a good start but now we've got a Keep building and improving, and and learning more because every team in our league is capable of beating us, and we believe we're capable of beating them. And for us, we've had four straight home games, followed by two straight road games, and we were able to split the road games and win our four at home. So I, I think whoever wins the regular season. Is going to have to win all of its home games and then, you know, maybe at least half or more of its road games.
1: Jim Laranega the hit men's basketball coach at Miami, joins us here on the program. Coach Mar- Laranaga, I got to take you back. You know, I'm a Washingtonian, right? Like, I got to take you back to your days at George Mason. And you know how it is. If you're in the area, it's Maryland, you know, especially during that time, it was Maryland. It's georgetown it's uva in terms of from a coverage standpoint then it's everybody else it's american it's george mason it's howard it's uh, you know a bunch george washington it's a bunch of schools you really put george mason on the map can you speak to that and by the way i must also say that i really had a chance to watch uh jason musciri who who was uh Uh, Your first year was, I think, your star player, if I'm not mistaken, uh, when he was at Montgomery College, an absolutely phenomenal player. But you really really put George Mason on the map.
6: Well, uh, first of all, I had a fantastic coaching staff, and they were able to recruit the right right players for us. One of those coaches is Bill Courtney, who's on my staff at Miami right now. And he helped recruit Jason Muscari, who was our first point guard recruit, He started for us for two years. He was first-team all-conference for two years and ended up with the Charlotte Hornets for a short while. He uh, led us to our first championship. He was an outstanding worker. He, along with George Evans and a host of other guys, led George Mason to its first championship in 99 and then again in 2001, where we almost upset the Maryland Terrapins in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And then he passed the torch onto several other guys, including my son, John Larinaga, who helped us in 2001, almost beat Maryland. And then my coaching staff, Chris Caputo, who's now my associate head coach at, at Miami, he helped recruit our Final Four team with Coach Courtney. And our goal was to get all local products to get kids from the DMV to come to George Mason. And that's how we built our program and our tradition. And in 2006, with eight players from the DMV, we
1: made it to the final four. Jim Larinaga's Miami team made it to the elite eight last season and the hurricanes off to a pretty solid start this year. So let's move to the month of February. We had a chance to catch up with former North Carolina ANT t HBCU All-American Brandon Parker of the Las Vegas Raiders. Played, of course, the tackle position. And we caught up with him maybe a week after, a couple of weeks after the Raiders' season was over with the loss to the Bengals in the playoffs. And one of the other big stories of 2022, uh, well, really was 2000, well, well, was really 2021, uh, but the John Gruden situation with him getting fired because of those emails had a chance to ask Brandon Parker about that um, as well as some other perspectives in terms of his time with the Raiders. That
7: was unfortunate, man. Um, you know, we're in the era, I know those came out quite a bit ago, but we're also in, you know, the cancel culture that's today, and we're also in an era where you can't just go around saying those things, man. And um, It's kind of one of those, you know, or if you're gonna say it, at least don't put it on paper like he was kind of <laughs> not smart enough to do, to know. So, uh, you know, I hate that happened because he was a good coach and a good guy, but it's one of those hard lessons to learn, man. It cost him his job.
1: John Gruden, Mike Mayotte, and who is no longer there uh, either. But I mean, those guys. I mean, and John Gruden in particular ultimately drafted you, wanted you as part of this team. That doesn't happen. You know, a third-round tackle out of a small college, particularly in HBCU, that doesn't happen every day. So I know that had to be, you know, maybe from a personal standpoint, you know, hit you a little bit harder. Oh, it
7: does, man. It's just the, the simple fact that they were willing to take a chance on me. And obviously they did their research with the scouting department and knew, knew my background. They liked my family clearly enough to draft me. But it still is a testament to them and the faith they had in me to even, you know, take a chance on me because I – had some growing pains to go through, had some developing to do, but I think I'm starting to play like a complete tackle, and just for them to see the vision and have the faith to stick with me, you know, through all four years is, you know, a testament to them. So they're always going to be fans in my book, man, and I'm always going to have their back because they, they took a chance, but they didn't have to, and I appreciate it for that.
1: You know, I'm not saying if you, if you did or you didn't, but do you feel like even under Gruden, um, because you mentioned, I mean, you had some struggles, and we talked about that, uh, a little bit with you last year, but ultimately, I mean, you came on at the end of, of last season. You came on at the end of this season. I don't remember how many of the last games you started. I would say it was at least six or seven of the last games of the season, including the playoff game. You feel like uh, at least under Gruden, ultimately you got a fair shake.
7: Uh, I would say so, yeah. I, um, you know, uh, obviously didn't play, every NFL player wants to play every game that's every step possible, but you know, my play wasn't consistent enough to kind of warrant me that position. So you had veterans like Sam Young and Trent Brown who were able to kind of carry the weight while giving me the time to develop. And then, um, you know, when they were, weren't able to go or when the staff felt like I was ready to go or, you know, I deserved the opportunity and I, you know, tried to step up and perform. And that's all you can ask for in this business is a chance. And I had multiple chances. So that's all I can ask for.
1: Brandon Parker, you heard right there, taking some responsibility, said, hey, I didn't play well enough. Last year, he did resign with the Raiders, but prior to the season starting, had a season-ending injury, and so was put on IR, but I think he's going to be ready to rock and roll on uh, in 2023, and the Raiders really needed some help, need some help uh, on the offensive line, and I think Brandon Parker, because he was growing such as a player, and again, he really came on very well at the end of last season, is going to be a true asset to the Raiders. Also in February, we had a chance to catch up with P.J. Morton. P.J. Morton, of course, musician and a drummer for Maroon 5, in addition to all of the other production and all the other music that he's produced, had a chance to talk with him about a number of different things, including about his time at Morehouse.
8: Yeah, that's a that's a that's a great question. I um well, first of all, I only applied to Morehouse. I didn't apply to any other college, <laughs> so I would have been messed up if I didn't, <laughs> I didn't get accepted. Uh, but I was very clear. Um, the two things really put me over the edge. My my mother is I th- I call her a great storyteller, but she would tell me stories about my uncle, her brother, going to Morehouse, um, the first male in their family to go to college. And she talked about how Morehouse really developed him, you know, grew him up in a way, made him a man, made him understand values, everything. So I already had like a fond uh, vision of Morehouse before I'd ever, this is when I was a kid. And then my sister uh, went to, my older sister went to Spelman and I got to go on campus, AUC campus and see her in college and see all the beautiful black people and see all the cool, you know, smart, intelligent people. It was just like amazing and and and, and um and I was sold. So um once once I saw my sister at S and had the background of my uncle and knew the history of Morehouse, I'm like, this is where I'm going. I don't wanna go anywhere else. Plus it was Atlanta and at that time LaFace, Outcast, you had Social Death with Jermaine Dupree, you had all these labels going and, like, being a new hub of music. And um, I was
1: like, that's where I want to be. Yeah, no, it's it's very interesting. Did, were you in school, at least partially? He he was younger than you, but John David Washington? John
8: came, yeah, John came while I was still there. Yeah, he came while I was still there. Uh, my last year, actually, he was playing football. Uh, so, yeah, we, we had all the hype with, with Denzel coming on campus and stuff, coming to some of the games. Uh, so, yeah, we, we were there at the same
1: time. Yeah, because I know when we talked with him, he mentioned, you know, the, one of the, the his most fondest memories of Morehouse, and it's probably at all HBCUs, is the, the, the calf and the fried chicken, whatever day the fried chicken came through, you know?
8: <laughs> for sure, for sure. <laughs> yes, sir.
1: Guess going back a couple of years ago, you were on um, TNT's Inside the NBA, right? Are you, are you a big sports fan? I am. Yeah, I love sports, uh, specifically football and basketball. Okay. Uh, so, being right there in New Orleans, are you a Pelicans guy? I am. Yeah, yeah. I'm a Pelicans fan,
8: man. We, you know, we're new fans. We, we, I wasn't a, uh, when, when they brought the Hornets to New Orleans, I wasn't on, I, I was still living in college. And I liked that uh, with the Charlotte Hornets. So, I'm like, I don't want somebody else's <laughs> team. So, when we turned into the Pelicans, I, 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 I'm fully. And the Pelicans. We're building, and uh,
1: we're gonna figure it out over here. <laughs> but yes, I'm a, I'm a Pelicans fan. Yeah, and then, man, what, what's up, Sean Payton retiring, man? What, what are your thoughts?
8: Oh my God! Oh my God! We're 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 in mourning. We're in mourning here. Uh, we were already in mourning because because the 49ers won, and we 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 didn't make it into the playoffs. Uh, but we're <laughs> fully in mourning for Sean Payton. <laughs> Sean Payton has set you know he set the culture for. for a winning football team i mean we lost my whole life basically <laughs> you know what i'm saying and uh yes. really changed the game and uh and so we're in he's a, a great coach we got nothing but love and respect for him he really uh inserted himself into the community too so it's a lot of love it's deeper than i mean that's new orleans, new orleans sports though it's much deeper than sports you know we we want to we want to be with you we want you to be with us so yeah, we'll miss Sean Payton for
1: sure. Musician PJ Morton and Morehouse grad, joining us back in February. It's our 2022 year end review show. I am your host, Donald Ware. We've got plenty more of the program, including in the next segment. We're going to take a listen back to some of the great conversations from the month of March. This is the final edition of the Boxer Row Blitz for 2022. I'm Donald Ware. The only place I'm taking you to is Atlanta for the matchup between North Carolina Central and Jackson State. North Carolina Central jumped out to the 10 to nothing lead with now six and a half remaining in the first and Jackson State trailing 10 to nothing in driving. Sanders fakes the pass, goes over the middle, has a man wide open as a touchdown for JSU. Jay stevens from 24 yards and the tigers pulled to within 10 to 7 the tigers weren't done early in the second quarter with the tigers pinned all the way down inside of their own 20 sanders three-step drop
9: looking up field pressure comes in takes it now he floats it he has coleman open at the 45 coleman into the 30 and he might get away and he will touchdown jsu
1: 85 yards, and the Tigers had their first lead of the ball game, 14-10. to 10. Now, let me take you to early in the third quarter with the Eagles trailing 21-17, to 17, and it was fourth and four for the Eagles.
9: Stifle the other, but the Eagles are going to go on the fake, and it's wide open. It's Kyle Morgan, the 50-yard line, gets away from the man, up to the 40, still stumbling, bumbling, 35, now down to the 20. Kyle Morgan, the up man, goes on the
1: big punt, away from everybody else. First down, North Carolina Central. That play was momentum changing because it led to a 12-yard touchdown reception by Quentin McCall from Richard. The extra point was no good, but the Eagles led 23-21, and it began what would become a seesaw affair. Now, I'm going to take you all the way down to with seconds. Remaining in the fourth quarter, Jackson State trailing forty-one to thirty-four and needing a miracle.
9: The snap for the ball gate. Sanders looking for the end zone. That pass is blocked.
1: Travis Hunter. From 19 yards out, the PAT was good. We were tied at 41, heading to overtime. North Carolina Central got the ball first in overtime, and with the Eagles driving. They push him
9: forward, and it looks like he got it. Touchdown, North Carolina Central.
1: Quarterback sneak by Davius Richard from one yard, and the Eagles led 41 to 34. Now, Jackson State has its possession in the first overtime. And on fourth down, the HBCU National Championship hanging in the balance. And the Tigers have the football inside the five-yard line.
9: Sanders, waist on the snap, has it. Looking to pass to the end zone. Takes it down, rolls with it. Still looking. And pass is incomplete. There's no flags. And after the sting of defeat six years ago for the Eagles in the Celebration Bowl, there will be no more scary ghost stories and only Tales of the Glory. It's a maroon and gray victory for North Carolina Central. They have turned primetime into NC Central time. 41 34 after overtime. The first overtime game in Celebration Bowl history.
1: Great call, my man. Jonathan Duran on the NCCU Sports Network, the Eagles. When their first hbcu national championship since 2006 as the box to row coaches and media voted nccu number one since this is the last episode of the box to row blitz for 2022 listen very carefully and write this down box to row the radio show airs weekly on radio stations across the country as well as fridays 6 p.m eastern 3 pacific on espnu radio on sirius xm that's channel 84 also saturdays 9 a.m eastern that's 6 pacific on sirius xm channel 142 to find a radio station in your area that carries the program for the HBCU All America teams as well as the HBCU coaches and media polls for great conversations with those from around the world of sports and entertainment or for more information log on to box have a wonderful holiday and a happy new year
0: the others pretend you're listening to the show that brings you up close and personal up close and- with the biggest names in sports and entertainment, here's the man to bring it to you, Donald.
10: Now the house, not a creature was stirring.
11: Not even a mouse. In my mind.
1: I want you to be free. Let's move to March and March Madness, Lamont Paris. Then the head men's basketball coach at Chattanooga joined us on the program. Chattanooga went to the NCAA tournament and had a chance to talk with him about what it it meant to him for Chattanooga to win the regular season and the SoCon tournament championship.
12: Yeah, it's been a process, and I've been fortunate in my career. I haven't done a lot of losing, uh, to say the least. I've just been very lucky, good, and call it whatever you want. But uh, yeah, so that was, that was, there was a lot of humility involved in that. But at the same time, I recognized that's where we were and who we were. So uh, rather than try to quick fix it in a way that was, that was maybe unreliable, we started building. I wanted to build, and I wanted to build, and how we were going to do things every day, how we were going to practice, and how we were going to uh, be as students, how we were going to communicate. Uh, how we were going to respond to coaching, how we were going to respond to adversity and successes, the, how we were going to be with uh, with our parents and thanking them for the opportunities that we've had in life. Like, it started with all of that. It started with all of that, and then we finally, ultimately, one day progressed to basketball. I didn't do one basketball thing with this team when I got here for at least a month, and and uh, we 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 impacted so many other things that the, the final uh, byproduct ended up being championship-level basketball. And uh, uh, that's just my plan. It's my strategy. I've seen it, lived it, been around it so many times. I've, I've sat on the sidelines in probably 25, 26 NCAA tournament games. And so you see what makes guys tick. How do you get there? What's conducive to winning? what's not conducive to winning and you take all that in and you see that and I just transfer my experiences onto these guys and they've accepted that and allowed me to coach them but yeah so we built up we got some really good players some great kids uh uh that have developed and and here we are and we're winners and and last year you know was a, we started off 9-0 and last year and we got one vote in the top 25 and so COVID didn't hit us so it was about to happen last year uh, but we had to wait a year for it, and so it made the wait all that more
1: special. Lamont Paris, now the head men's basketball coach at South Carolina. In March, we had a chance to catch up with two of the great producers, DJ Scratch and RZA, joined us right here on Radio Boss. And I had a chance to ask Riza a number of different questions, but we, we talked a little sports, and we talked about the New York Knicks.
13: Big enough, big enough. What you got for me?
1: Let me see, man. I don't know you. You, you know, you're from from New York, right? Like, I, I mean, what are you, Knicks, uh, 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 Nets? You know what? And Giants first. I'm Nets. I'm Knicks first.
13: I'm Nets net second. So if the Knicks ain't doing it, I'm watching my Nets.
1: <laughs> hey, look, okay. Riza. I gotta be honest with you, man. Listen, the the. I mean, I know not yeah. for you since you a Knicks fan. The Knicks for the way that the Knicks are playing are on national TV way too much. We talk way too much about the Knicks. I know it's New York. I get it. We talk way too much about the Knicks. <laughs> you know what I'm saying?
13: But you know what, though? Listen, it's a, look, we got the biggest antenna. In the country, on our buildings. right? So, right. <laughs>
1: we get the, we get the, we get the control the signal, baby. <laughs> hey, look, I can't even, yo, I can't even be mad at you for it because you're absolutely right with that, you know. But, but you know, the last couple of, last couple of games have been playing some decent ball, though. oh uh,
13: look, you no, know, don't count us out, man. You know, what I mean, don't count, never count, count us out. You know, we, we definitely, you know, the team makes it to the playoffs. So many, I mean, more playoffs than probably any other team in franchise history for its playoffs. But we just gotta we just gotta get over those humps and get that and get to get one of those rings back. Man, if we haven't had a ring. We I, we I think we I think our ring is so old that uh they changed the metal they use now <laughs> <laughs> hey, Beck, but, yo- yo. yeah go ahead. <laughs> no, I said but no look, I love the Knicks. I'm I'm proud of the Nets. Somebody was arguing the other day about the Knicks and the Nets. And I was like, look, I'm putting Knicks first because the Nets used to be across the bridge, all right? So now, they, now they're in Brooklyn, so we come going to in that love. But it was New Jersey at first, yo, you know what I mean, when I was a kid. Um, but with Kevin Durant on that team, I think it's a blessing. It's a blessing for the whole city.
1: So let's, let's start there. You can't lose. I mean, would you have rather KD and Kyrie come to the I guess you would have rather them come to the Knicks. We wouldn't even be talking about the Nets had they come to the Knicks.
13: You know what? I was rooting for that. I don't know who made the bad deal on that one. Okay? Who made the bad deal? We need to put him on the show and, and ask him what type of DJing was he doing when he didn't make the proper deal to get Kevin over to the Knicks. Because, trust me, I bet you this. Look, the Knicks play in, in, in Manhattan, right? In Madison Square Garden. Right. And, uh, the, and, uh, and um, you know, the Nets play at the Barclay in Brooklyn but I could bet that Kevin Durant lives in Manhattan. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Probably so, man. Probably so, you know. That was RZA talking a little Nets and Knicks. We had a chance to catch up with both, both RZA and DJ Scratch on that particular episode. Staying in the month of March, and you talk about the series All-American Homecoming really puts the spotlights on HBCUs. We had a chance to catch up with one of the actors, Corey Hardrick, who plays one of the baseball coaches uh, on All-American Homecoming. And he joined us right here on Radio Boss. Involvement. I mean, you may be an HBCU guy. I don't know. But how much involvement are you an HBCU guy? How much did you know about HBCUs prior to this role?
14: I can say I didn't know much. I'm going to be honest with you. And then, um, you know, I feel ignorant for saying that, but that's the truth. Um, So what I did was I started doing a lot of different research and watching all the greats who went to HBCUs. Uh, I even digged up Denzel's commencement, uh, the speech he did for, uh, I believe it was Dillard at an HBCU. And uh, it was so moving. I was just like, wow, HBCUs have like this power that no one really taps into on a whole And I feel like it goes unnoticed and missing um, just in the world of just college, you know, and it should be, you know, given more respect, you know, of HBCU. So I really was just like, it would be an honor to be a part of it, to just bring excellence, especially black excellence to, you know, HBCUs through the show and what I can do to contribute to it, to make it grow. And then I started, you know... Just 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 studying up on it more and reading more about it and who all went to HBCUs and I was just like, Wow, this is this is amazing, you know, just to see. Um so I'm 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 very happy that I'm I'm being more knowledgeable of it now.
1: Corey Hardrick playing the role of baseball coach Marcus Turner on All American Homecoming.
0: The best and brightest of the sports world are with us every week. From the Press Box to Press Row. But don't take our word for it. Sit back and enjoy more of our look on the air with Donald Ware. In my mind.
1: We're back here on Box to Row. It's our 2022 year end review show. And we're going to continue... In the month of March, and, and matter of fact, the latter part of March, because one of my favorite times of the year is right around the latter part of March, April, in preparation for the National Football League draft. And there's always quite quite a few HBCU players uh, that have opportunities to be drafted. Now, when you look across the landscape of the National Football League, not enough players, in my mind, are drafted, and more signed as free agents so going to march had a chance to catch up with joshua williams excuse me of fayetteville state cornerback had a chance to talk with him about how he at that time was preparing for the national football league draft coming out of fayetteville state uh it's definitely been um you know just a breathtaking
15: experience just soaking it all in but You know, at the same time, uh, you know, I'm I'm going there ready to work and and just show, you know, these guys what I can do and what I'm made of.
1: And you've shown them so far. Tell us, take us through that because, and I know the National Football League has placed an emphasis uh, on making sure that it's doing enough to make sure that the light is being shined on HBCU players and so on and so forth. And we'll ultimately see how that plays out in this year's um, National Football League draft. But like the Combine, man, it's not a lot of times that HBCU kids get invited, yet alone uh, from a D2. Take us through what that NFL Combine experience was like.
15: Um, It was, you know, just very, um, of course, fast-paced. You know, there's a lot of things you have to get done. Um, A lot of it uh, really is medical testing and making sure you're healthy, stuff like that. Um, You know, they're doing physical or physical evaluations just as well as a psychological and mental evaluation. So, um, you know, just super busy through the week. And um, it's all just gearing up to that last day, um, which is, you know, the the on-field day where you test and, uh, you know, just show the things that you can do on the
1: football field. Joshua Williams, fourth round, ended up being the fourth round draft pick by the Kansas City Chiefs. First HBCU player taken off the board. And, I mean, he's played a lot. He's got a lot of time, especially started a couple of games to, to this point. He's had some ups and downs as a rookie would have, but all signs point to he's going to be a good cornerback in the National Football League. Another player we had a chance to catch up with, Jacoby Durant out of South Carolina State. He joined us in April as we move now to April here on our year-end review show, had a chance to catch up with him also back in April as he made preparations for the National Football League draft.
16: Uh, The NFL Combine experience is a great experience. You know, coming from a small school like me, getting the opportunity to go out there and showcase my skill on one of the highest levels of training in front of NFL coaches and not only NFL coaches, the scouts, and people across the world that's watching. I got a great support system from my, my family in the town of Lamar where I'm from. Uh, everybody was watching. You know, I just went out there with the mentality that I'm the best cornerback in the draft. And, you know, I just went out there and I had a business. Um, I was sharp. I wasn't really too too much worried about the drills because I already knew um, I'm fluid enough and I knew I was going to kill the drills. I was just really worrying about the 40. I won, I knew I was going to run fast, but um, I actually slipped on my four three eight forty. 3 uh, It probably would have been lower than that. Um, doors doors have opened for me uh since I ran that
1: 48. Doors certainly did open for Jacoby da- Durant. He was a fourth-round draft pick by the Rams and got his first interception. It was either week two or week three. And uh so Jacoby da- Durant of the LA Rams.
0: We're looking back in the press box to press row. So it's about time Donald and the gang straighten up the studios. We'll do that and be right back with more from the press box to press row. Box2row.com box is the website for all of your HBCU sports
10: needs. From the
12: game of the week feature to
10: interviews, to the latest news in the world of HBCU sports. Box2row.com has you covered. <laughs> Missed a week of From the Press Box to Press Row? Box2row.com has all the archive shows. Don't forget to check out the All American teams and weekly media coaches' polls. From the Press Box to Press Row. And Box2row.com, your HBCU sports leader.
0: All right, enough selling stuff already. Let's talk more sports as we bring you the very best of, from the press box to press row. Here's your host, Donald Ware.
1: Sticking in the month of April, had a chance to work the HBCU All-Star Game with the legendary Charlie Neal. We called that game uh, and on SiriusXM, as a matter of fact, and had him on the program maybe a couple of weeks later really to talk with him about his outstanding career. I mean, there's any number of different things we could point to, but let me let Charlie tell you in this specific clip about some of the great things that he has done in his career. How have you seen the landscape of black college sports change in all of those years?
10: Well, it it changed tremendously in it went up and we came back down and it's going back up again. Uh, One of the things, uh, and we talk about BET, uh, first of all, you have to remember that HBCUs back in the 60s, 70s were very popular in terms of athletes moving on to the next level. And that's because those athletes, the, the Willie Lanier's of the world, the Lombardi's of the, Uh, they they couldn't go to Ole Miss and they couldn't go to Alabama. They couldn't go to Texas and a lot of those schools. So uh, a lot of those, I said, quality and and top-notch athletes that went on to play at the next level came from historically black colleges and universities. And that was long before integration. And so when integration started, Alabama started bringing in black athletes and Ole Miss and Texas and the schools in the South and Southeast started bringing in uh, African-American athletes, then the landscape in terms of the, uh, qu- like, oh, I don't want to say the quality, but the, the top-notch players were not at those HBCUs. Yes, there were still some there, but it wasn't like you, when you looked at Grambling and how many people they sent to the pros, or Jackson State sent to the pros, or Southern University sent to the pros. Uh, basically, they all came out of that era of the 60s and 70s. And so, when integration came about, when those African American athletes could still to, could go to the PWIs, then some of that shiny uh, armor was taken away from the HBCUs. But I, what has happened recently, and you, I, I give Deion Sanders a lot of credit for some of this. Young people are starting to understand, and I, and I've been preaching this all along. But you know, it's one thing to 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 say it. But for for them to witness it and for it to happen to them, then they understand that if you are good enough as an athlete, they will find you. You could be at uh, Xavier University at NAIA school. If you can play, they know about you.
1: Knowledge being dropped by the unmistakable voice of really HBCU sports, Charlie Neal, sticking in April, had a chance to catch up with another All American Homecoming actress this time, Jeffrey Maya. Jeffrey Maya, the star of All American Homecoming, joined us on the program, and we had a little bit of a chuckle to kind of start the conversation. I was looking on your Twitter page and I had to laugh. Uh, A little bit because you said the DMV is hell's lobby, which is so funny because that is so that is so true. Like, what was your experience the last time at the DMV?
5: Oh, my gosh. It's just like I don't understand. Every single time I go to the DMV, which is not that many times. And you just hope that please let this be the day that I don't know, people got a little bit more sleep, Or maybe it's not that many people that had to make an appointment that day. It was just a lot going on. It was too much happening at one time, and yet it felt like nothing was happening at the same time because it took too long. But granted, I got out of there in six hours, so I guess that's better than many can say.
1: Your memories, which I guess aren't that uh, far off or that long ago. I always ask people this, HBCU, but your days at, at uh, Clark Atlanta and what, what, what you enjoyed most.
5: What I enjoyed most, honestly, was just being around my people. Like, you know, I grew up in South Central L.A., born and raised here. And, you know, L.A. is such a melting pot of the city, you know. Um, And my mother was the type of mother that allowed me to experience more than just my community. You know what I mean? More than just my block. Like, she always sent me to amazing schools. She always sent me to Amazing, dope, like, extracurricular activities so I can be able to experience the world and be cultured, and my mind broadened and expanded, but being in Atlanta, you know, it is such a community, and it just allowed me to just immerse myself fully in my culture, and, you know, I've made so many lifelong friends, and of course, about my matriculation there, of course, the education, and of course, you know, the legacy and, you know, the HBCU experience as a whole, but it hits different when you're able to sit next to people that look like you, be educated by people that look like you, be advised or led by people that look like you. You know, it's, it's a different situation. So I'm just grateful that I've had that to where I was able to further my education and actually really solidify and make a staple for myself as a young adult in a space that was created for people that look like me, by people that look like me. It's very special. I always celebrate it. And, I, and I'm so grateful to be a part of a show that encourages that mentality and that encourages that type of like idea and identity within education and within cultural celebration. So yeah, I, I love my experience and, I, and I'll never I would never change it for the world.
1: Let's move to the month of May. Matt James, the first ever Black Bachelor, he joined us here to talk about what that experience was like for him. So what did that mean to you? to, in fact, be the first black lead on The Bachelor?
17: Um, man, it was monumental, especially with, with, where, with where we were as a country um, being asked to, to step into that role. You know, first, it's shocking because, you know, it, 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 it's wild that we're still having those type of firsts as a country in 2021. It was shocking that there hadn't been a black male lead yet, um, but I was honored to step into that role to represent Myself, my family, and and black men in the way that I thought. You know, I did the best that I could in doing so, knowing that I was going to be the first black person that a lot of these viewers had in their homes for the first time for an extended amount of time.
1: A couple of more thoughts with Matt James here on the program. So you you chose Rachel uh, Kirkconnell. Uh, Are you guys on The Bachelor? Are you guys still together? And how have you. I know she's kind of come out and addressed some of the racial insensitive actions that she's had in the past. How have you been able to also deal with that?
17: Uh, You know, I've dealt with those the same way that I deal with most things, you know, being prayerful about those things and, and taking my time and evaluating things Um, after I left the show. um, You know, we, we, we took a step back from our relationship because I had to evaluate if You know, I had fallen in love with someone based off of, this experience and not based off my own merit and you know ultimately we were drawn back together because the woman that i i had fallen in love with was the woman who i thought she was just a a great all-around woman and i've spent so much time with her family and um getting to know them and her friends and um living our lives outside of the bachelor has been the best thing for us because we don't have the expectation of of perfection because we're not perfect and um, we we go about doing our relationship our own way, and uh, it's working for us.
1: Let's move on to the month of June, and one of my favorite times because I have a chance to have my father Donald Ware on the program. And one of the stories I always love hearing him talk about is the time that he was signed by Vince Lombardi. He played at Howard was is a Howard Hall of Famer was signed by Vince Lombardi yes that Vince Lombardi when he was the head coach of the Washington Redskins and you gotta hear how this played out.
11: Yes when I received a call from uh, Bobby Mitchell in late January to uh, come to the Redskins office on February the 3rd which was a Monday 9 o'clock I was to come there to talk to Coach Lombardi so I uh, certainly went to the office and I forgot they were on. The, I think the third floor. So I went to the office, saw the receptionist, and said to her that uh, I was here for a, a nine o'clock appointment with Coach Lombardi. And uh, she, you know, she told me to you know sit down in the reception area, and uh, she called the coach. And uh, I, I know that he answered the phone. And, and she said, "Well, okay, well, I have him wait a couple of minutes." So she told me to wait a couple of minutes. The coach would call back, and. Then the phone rang again, and then she said, "You can go straight back." You know, so as I walked back past the receptionist, I could see his office. The door was closed, and it said "Coach Lombardi." And as I walked toward his office, it seemed like I was uh, just lost my my grip on on the floor. I mean, it seemed like I was just like I was floating on a on a cloud. You know, I guess I was just so nervous. So as I approached the door, the door opened, (laughs) and uh, it was Charlie Taylor had opened the door. Then I saw Bobby Mitchell sitting at one of the guest chairs at uh, Coach Lombardi's, and I saw Coach Lombardi, he was, you know, uh, looking at some some papers. So I I came in, and and, uh, Bobby motioned to the the empty chair next to him to, to, you know, sit down, so I did. So Lombardi finished, and... uh, and he, you know, talked to me for a minute, saying, um, "Yeah, well, we understand that um, you, you know, that you're pretty good, you know, safety, and we wanted to you to come to our organization." But he asked me, "How did you feel about playing cornerback?" And I said, "Oh gosh," and I really wasn't that fast or quick, in my opinion, to to play corner. But they wanted me to to play behind. You no, know, Mike Bass and I told him I said yes I and you know, I I'd love to I, I certainly wasn't going to say no I don't I don't want to do that so I said <laughs> right. yes and uh, then he asked me coach Lombardi asked me we want to beat the Cowboys and Bob Hayes and so forth and so on but um, he asked me uh, can what do you think you can check Charlie Taylor and uh, then I thought a minute because Charlie was over at the coffee and I guess making coffee in a and he was looking straight at me, and he was uh, like 6'3", big. And, uh, and I thought to myself, I can't blow this. I can't say to the coach and in front of Bobby Mitchell, no, I don't think I can check him. And that blows the whole confidence level that, that they were having me. So I thought about it for a minute, and then I looked up and I said, uh, no one can. And when I said that, Lombardi pushed this uh, long legal blue paper in front of me it was the nfl con standard contract which i uh, gladly signed for twelve thousand (laughs) five hundred dollars
1: that was my father donald Ware. my time is about up i thank you for yours i want you to have a very merry christmas and outstanding holiday on next week's program we're going to take a listen back to some of the great conversations from the months of july through december And always remember to support those that support your box. Toro is produced by DW Communications.